Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, December 6th, we are studying the hymn, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. That is number 341 in Lutheran Service Book. This hymn by Georg Weisel helps us to welcome Jesus with joy and humility, for he is the King of Kings who comes to bring us life and salvation. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Tim Stork. Pastor Stork serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Michigan. Pastor Stork, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. It's good to be with you this morning. Happy St. Nicholas Day, Pastor Stork. Thank you. And also did you with set, you. Did you set your shoes out and, and get some, I don't know what St. What Nicholas, my, my kids did that, but I don't know what St. What Nicholas put in them. No, we we did not get our shoes out last night. So. All right. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, happy St. Nicholas Day. Regardless, though, the one who confessed the truth that Jesus is God at the Council of Nicaea. So today we get to look at the hymn number 341, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. We've been looking at these Advent hymns for, for a little while on Sharper Iron. It's been quite a quite a joyous journey. As we think about Advent, Pastor Stork, talk a little bit about the season, its importance in the church here and in the life of the Christian. Yeah, Advent is, I would say, from the world's perspective, it's probably the most overlooked of the seasons. Um, it's so easy for us in this world to look beyond Advent and, and get straight to Christmas. Um, and of course, not just celebrating the birth of Jesus, but talking about Santa Claus and the trees and the decorations. And But for us in the church, Advent is that time of preparation. In a way, it's very similar to the season of Lent. It's a season of repentance, um, of preparation, um, especially as in these next couple of weeks here in our Advent season, um, we remember John the Baptist and his pointing us to Jesus and calling all people to repentance. Um, and so that's what this season is really about. It helps us to prepare ourselves not only to celebrate Jesus coming as a baby in Bethlehem, but also to help us prepare ourselves for Jesus' second coming on the last day. Mm, yeah, and I, I think we'll see in the hymn that we've got today, that theme of preparation come through loud and clear, and not really, I mean, you know, we're, we often think of Advent maybe as a pre-Christmas, and it certainly teaches us to approach Christmas in the right way, but the hymn today I don't think has Christmas in view as it, as much as it does of the receiving Christ who, as he comes to us today in word and sacrament. And then, of course, looking forward to the way he re we receive Christ in joy and faith on the last day, as you said. So this important season of preparation and repentance, the season of Advent is one that we ought not overlook. It teaches us to wait and expect Christ with great joy. So, Pastor Stork, uh, what is your favorite Advent hymn? So my favorite Advent hymn is... 
one that's probably not mentioned very often, but it's number 346 in our Lutheran service book. It's entitled When All the World Was Cursed. Um, it, so tell me why that's your favorite Advent hymn, because no one said <laughs> that one yet. No? Well, there we go. Um, my wife always said that I was unique. Um, <laughs> the, the reason why I like 346, When All the World Was Cursed, it it's a wonderful reminder for me as a pastor of what we're called to do. Um, like Jan John the Baptist, um, he points us to Jesus. He comes with this zeal to prepare us for his coming, um, to point us in repentance to him, to confess our sins. And it reminds me of, of a painting just, that I just saw recently of Martin Luther, in his pastoral garb with these three little children by him and he's pointing them to Jesus. And that really is not only the task of John the Baptist and Luther and all the pastors who have come before, but it's also the task of all pastors today, that it's not about us, that we point people to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and ultimately the joy that comes from that, knowing that we've been forgiven and that in Jesus we have the gift of eternal life. So it may not necessarily be the most popular of the Advent hymns, but it's definitely one that strikes me to the core every year that we get to sing it here at church. I, I think it's one of those hymns that maybe is, it suffers from a from a difficult first line. And so you look at the title, When All the World Was Cursed, and I don't know if I want to sing that. But <laughs> but when you start going through the, the text of the hymn, which we will hear on Sharper Iron next Monday on December 12th, we're going to be looking at this hymn together. So I won't say too much this morning, but when you do look at the text of the hymn, there is some fantastic language there. Someone once pointed out to me from this hymn, and it really... It changed my view of, of John the Baptist, that in this hymn, we say that St. John the Baptist came with words of consolation, and we often think of him as a preacher of, of judgment and woe, and, and yet here he's described as a, a preacher of consolation. Uh, so I won't say much more than that, because we are going to look at this together on air, but man, what a fantastic hymn, and I'm glad that it is your favorite, Pastor Stork. We've been inviting our listeners to uh, share their favorite Advent hymns with us. I received a little more co correspondence yesterday. A, a listener in the St. Louis area uh, mentioned that his favorite Advent hymn is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, with a close second of Savior of the Nations Come. And he suggests that Advent hymns make great prayers, and I would heartily agree with that comment. So, dear listener, thank you for joining us for this series. And please continue to let us know what your favorite Advent hymn or hymns are. You can send an email to KFUO at kfuo.org to let us know where you're listening and what your favorite Advent hymn is. Pastor Stork, you and I get to talk about Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates, number 341 in Lutheran Service Book this morning. It's also number 340 in Lutheran Service Book as well. There are two different tunes that are given in our hymnal. Hymn 339, while it has a very similar title, is a, is a distinct hymn. We're looking at 340, 341. I put 341 because that's the melody that we normally sing or that I most readily associate with this text. So, Pastor Stork, as we prepare to look at this hymn, any information on the background of the hymn, the author, any sort of overview comments before we dig into individual stanzas? Yeah, so the hymn is written by Georg Weissel, who lived in the late 1500s, early 1600s. Um, 
the place where he lived is in now what is known um, as Kaliningrad, Russia. Um, it was an area of Prussia um, during that time. Georg was at first a rector of one of the schools in that area. Um, and then later on, he went back to school to continue his education, to become a pastor. Um, he did become a pastor and went back to serve in that area. Um, also during this time, there was a, of course, the great plagues were happening. And we know that during the 1620s, there were at least 15,000 people who fell victim to the plague then. Um, so again, this, this hymn for us um, is a great reminder of the joy that we can find in Jesus and in his promises and especially living our lives now um, as Jesus comes to us at this time, that even in the midst of a plague or COVID or whatever is going on in our life, we are still able to be full of praise. Mm. All right, so we are looking at hymn number 341 in Lutheran Service Book this morning. Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. Here is stanza one. Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. Behold, the King of glory waits. The King of kings is drawing near. The Savior of the world is here. Life and salvation he doth bring. Therefore, rejoice and gladly sing. To God the Father raise your joyful songs of praise. That stanza one of the hymn, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. Pastor Stork, I, I don't know that I would, have said, I would have ever said that this is my favorite Advent hymn, but growing up, this was certainly one of those distinctive Advent hymns in my mind. I think one for the melody because of the, the joyful nature of the melody, and also just for that first line, the title, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. That is unusual language, in at least in our day and age. What What is the hymn writer talking about? What is this lift up your heads, ye mighty gates? Yeah, so uh, our hymn writer takes the this opening line from the book of Psalms, from Psalm 24, where David writes these words. He says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Um, who is this King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? And of course, here we, we are given to look at the, the tabernacle and, and the temple and the opening up of the gates, um, that the people would be in God's presence, that they would be in, in, his, in his glory, um, knowing who he is, knowing the great works that he has done. And so we are given this wonderful picture of the opening of the gates, lifting up our heads, that we can see the King of glory, who we are now in our presence. Okay, so Psalm 24 is the key background to this text. And anytime you see this language of, of lifting up heads or gates being opened, particularly in the season of Advent, Psalm 24 generally stands in the background as, as you read those last couple of verses for us. In fact, in Psalm 24, verses 7 to 10, it's a bit of a refrain that we get there from David that's repeated, the lift up your heads, and the, the question, who is the king of glory? And the answer is given, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And then you get a repeat of that in, in similar but not exact language. So the, the thought is that the Lord is coming, 
as the king of glory, the one who is mighty and strong. He comes, and so the gates that would open to him, they are, they are called upon open wide, lift up your heads, look, here comes the king. And now that, that same image is going to be applied to us as Christians, that we would receive the Lord in expectation, looking, longing for him as he comes to us. So, so that's what we've, we've got as the hymn continues. Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. Behold, the king of glory waits. And this thought that our Lord is the king or the king of glory continues through the hymn. Talk about it in the, in the first stanza, the king of glory, the king of kings. Uh, how is this hymn stanza progressive for us? Yeah, so we are reminded that the the king of kings is drawing near the savior of the world is here well who is this king of kings um who is this lord of lords we know who it is we we know that it's jesus jesus is the king who has drawn near he is the the savior of the world who has come into our presence he has come into uh, into the sinful fallen world and i love how he puts it here in um in the third line, the savior of the world is here. It's not the savior of the world has come and it's not the savior of the world is coming, but we proclaim in this very first stanza of this hymn, the savior of the world is here right now. And how comforting is that for us? Um, you know, as Christians, we oftentimes think of our Lord is, you know, being in the in the scriptures and thinking about him coming. But again, we have this focus for us in the Christian faith that we know that God is is here with us now in his word and sacraments. Um, he comes to us and gives us himself. And that through that, then what does he give us? Weissel goes forward. He says, life and salvation is what he brings. Um, the, the life that we receive in holy baptism, the salvation that has been won for us on the cross and given to us in the sacraments and by his word. And so then what do we, knowing that the savior is here, knowing that we've received life, that we've received salvation, what should we do? Therefore rejoice and gladly sing. We, we sing great hymns of joy. I mean, that's one of the things I do love about so many of our Advent hymns is the, the joy that is within them, um, that we can sing in the face of all the things going on in this world and all the chaos because God is here with us. And then he finishes, to God the Father raise your joyful songs of praise. That again, we are not just singing about or to Jesus, but that we also remember that the Father who sends his Son, we also joyfully um, give thanks to him. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you bringing out the present tense nature of the coming of the Savior in that third line, that the Savior of the world is here. Because on the one hand, as I think through this first hymn stanza particularly, my mind goes to not only Psalm 24, but also to the Palm Sunday, Sunday entry into Jerusalem that Jesus makes. You know, there's a moment where the king comes to his holy city, and he is welcomed with this great joy, much like Psalm 24 describes. And that's, that, I think that's fitting, 
but the uh, you know the allusion here in this hymn is to the present tense coming that the savior of the world is here so it's not just a, a putting myself in the shoes of the people alongside that road in jerusalem and and pretending that i've got a palm branch in my hand which is you know there's nothing inherently wrong with that but this is it, me being invited to sing no the savior of the world is here right now for me he's with me and as you said that is a fantastic comfort for us as Christians. I'm sure you you know as well that you know, when when Christians are suffering, one of the, the greatest comforts that a, a pastor or a fellow Christian can bring is that the Lord is in fact with you right now. He has not forsaken you, but he comes to you. He's with you. And that is a beautiful comfort that, that the one who is the king of kings, the king of glory, as Psalm 24 invites us to say, He's also the savior of the world, that he, he comes with that might to save us. And, and in humility, he, he doesn't make use of that might for himself, but he does so in order to die for the salvation of us sinners, to bring us life and salvation. So what a, what a beautiful comfort from this hymn that we would then rejoice and gladly sing. And you, you may note that the, the end uh, of this stanza is perhaps a bit surprising, to God the Father raise your joyful songs of praise. I, I was kind of thinking we would say to, you know, God the, the Son or to Jesus Christ or however it would fit the meter, but God the Father raise. And, and you'll notice if you're looking at the hymn right now that it's going to change in the next couple of lines such that we're not only singing praise to, to Jesus Christ, we're singing praise to the, to the triune God. And, and that, is, that is fitting for any Christian hymn. Yeah, that, that's definitely... Um, something to make note of is the fact that we, as we celebrate this Advent season and we give thanks to Jesus um, for doing what he did and saving us from our sin, it's not just his work, but that ultimately it is the Father who sent him, Jesus who died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then our Lord who sends us the Holy Spirit to bring us to faith and to keep us into that faith. And so this the season is one that we can praise all three members of the Holy Trinity, um, you know, joyfully singing songs of praise, hymns of praise, shouts of praise, as, as the hymn writer puts it. That's right. That's right. So that's that's how stanza one ends with the, the praises to God the Father, joyful praises, joyful songs. And then we pick up stanza two. A righteous helper comes to thee. His chariot is humility. His kingly crown is holiness, his scepter, pity and distress. The end of all our woe he brings, therefore the earth is glad and sings. To Christ the Savior raise your grateful hymns of praise. That is stanza two of the hymn, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. Okay, Pastor Stork, it seems like in each line, there's something being described of, as we know from the end, Christ the Savior of Jesus. It's talking about him or something that he has with him as he comes. So the, the first line is, a righteous helper comes to thee. Talk about that title for Christ, a righteous helper. Yeah, so here we, we see from Psalm 45, um, verse 6, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness um, that again we have this this picture of god sitting on his throne where it remains forever um, and that the scepter that he holds is a scepter of uprightness um, 
And, and so we get this picture of the one who has come to help us, um, that he is also the one who, who sits on the throne and will has, has made things righteous, will make things righteous, um, that he is righteousness itself. Um, and, and so then he goes on and, and describes that. Well, how does this righteous one who is on the throne come? Well, his chariot is surprisingly, I, you know, if you're the, the reading this for the first time or, or singing through this first time, he doesn't come with might and, and power and, and glory, though he has all of these things. Well, how does he come? Well, he comes in humility. His, his chariot is humility, which, again, I think takes us back, Pastor Apple, to the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. He doesn't come on, you know, in a, in a great chariot, you know, with a, yeah. all of his warriors along with him, but he rides in on the back of a donkey and her colt. Or, you know, if we want to take it back to the beginning of the Gospels, back to um, Luke chapter 1, and then, of course, Luke chapter 2, well, how does Jesus enter into this world? He doesn't come down from his throne in all of his glory, but he's conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He comes in humility. He comes into this world just like we do, though conceived by the Holy Spirit without sin. And so our Lord, again, shows us that even though he is the creator of this world, that he is the redeemer of this world, he comes in great humility. Um, yeah, that's a well, just a, that that line in particular is, is quite a, a contrast to say his chariot is humility. Because on the one hand, you know, you, you pointed out Palm Sunday, and Jesus doesn't actually ride a chariot. He rides a donkey. No. I mean, and that's the whole, that's part of the point. You know, you get that quotation from Zechariah chapter 9 that Matthew brings out for us and, and saying, look, part of this point is that he's riding a donkey in humility. He's not riding a chariot. And mm -hmm. a, a chariot, I mean, a chariot is not a, a humble thing. Simply by its very, you're not going to ride a chariot if you're humble. And so to, to see that put side by side, the, you know, again, I suppose we could argue with, with with Pastor Weissel and say, well, look, he never rode a chariot. But I think poetically, he, he accomplishes something very marvelous to, to put that image. Okay, think about someone riding a chariot. Now the Lord's chariot is humility, and that's how he comes. And as you said, that takes us beyond Palm Sunday, but really to the entire ministry of our Lord. That, you know, when, when the shepherds go looking for the, the king, the savior of the world on Christmas— where are they told to go? Not to the palace. They're told to go to the manger. And the, and the child, the king, is going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is how our, our Lord comes. He comes in humility. And that's a, that's a fantastic comfort, again, for us, that, that this is the way that our Lord comes. He comes to save. So he's, he's the righteous helper. He connected us to Psalm 45 and the throne of God. His chariot is humility. So we've got that image in our mind. And then we're going to talk about more things like this. So the next line, his kingly crown is holiness. So we're talking about crown and holiness. Take us into that image. Yeah. So now we, again, we keep with this whole theme of God sitting on his throne and we're reminded again here of, well, who is this king? He is crowned in holiness. He is crowned in perfection. He is crowned in, um, the, the, the knowledge that he has no sin, 
um, that he is set apart. He, he is the one true king. And he comes, again, with his scepter, going on with the line, his scepter pity in distress, the end of all our woe he brings. So again, what does this king come to do? You know, he sees us in distress. He sees us in the struggles of our lives. He sees us as we are struggling with sickness or brokenness in our families or divorce or death as one of the families in my congregation just, you know, was struggling with over these last couple of weeks. And, and what does he come? He comes with, with pity for us. Um, the end of all of our woe he brings. But again, it's that great reminder that he... Jesus comes to end the sadness, to end the distress, to end the death. And he comes and he has pity upon us. We see that with Jesus when he's with Mary and Martha after Lazarus's death. And of course, how does Jesus react? He reacts in, in sadness. He, he cries along with the crowds and Mary and Martha at Lazarus's death. He sees us as well and understands our our sadness and the distress that we go through in this life and, and he doesn't just come along and you know tell us to to buck up and you know to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps but he comes beside us in our sadness and comforts us with with the word that he brings to us and reminds us that the woes that we struggle with are going to come to an end yeah, he he knows those woes. He experienced them himself, as you said. He wept with with Mary and Martha there at the tomb of Lazarus, and he will bring them to an end. He will wipe our tears away on the last day. I I love in this stanza the image there about the scepter, his scepter, pity and distress. And I I don't know if this is what the hymn writer had in mind or not, but my, that that line takes my or that line takes my mind to the book of Esther. Uh, where you know, I mean, Esther in in that book, part of the 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 tension that's in that book is that Esther is going to go before the king unannounced, and and she tells her uncle Mordecai, you know, look, if I go before the king unannounced, he can put me to death unless he extends his scepter to me, and if he extends his scepter to me and grants an audience, then then things will go well. I I will live, and so you you have you know that tension in the book of Esther as to what's the king going to do. Is he going to extend his scepter in pity, which is what he, he does, or, mm -hmm. or will he not? You know, I mean, as, as the narrative is going along and you read it for the first time, you're not sure which way he's going to go. And, and so to, you know, to, use, to th have that in your mind, that you have this example of an earthly king who may or may not extend that scepter in pity, and then to say that Jesus is the king whose scepter is pity, that, that when you come to him, you know that he's not going to, as the, I think it's, it's the quote from Isaiah, that he's not going to break the bruised reed or to quench the, mm -hmm. the faintly uh, burning wick. You know, Jesus mm -hmm. isn't, isn't, his scepter is, is pity. That's, that's what he delights to do is to show mercy and pity. Again, that, that's not maybe the way we think of our earthly kings, but this is the king who's coming to us. And again, that's such a, a joyful comfort for us. Yeah, I, you're right. I mean, as I said, I had a, um, a family who just lost a loved one the, a few days ago and who died in the faith. And yet it was such a comfort to know that you can bring them Jesus 
and realizing that Jesus also knows what they are going through as a family, as they, as their loved one passed away, as their loved one died, and knowing that Jesus didn't just come and say, you know, get with it, you know, get on yeah. with your life, but instead comes to them and, and comforts them with, with his word, with his peace, and again reminds them that, you know, in the midst of our sadness, he will all things do. And so, again, even in this Advent season, that we can remember that he will bring us out of all of this woe that Weissel goes on to, to speak about. Um, that, yes, there is a time of sadness, but there's also a time of joy. Um, reminds me of the, the writer of Ecclesiastes in, in chapter three. You know, there are different seasons in our lives. And, and this is one of them, that Jesus comes in this distress, there is going to be times of distress in our lives, but he will bring an end to all of that woe as well. That's right. Yeah, what a wonderful comfort we have from our King of Kings who comes to us to bring us pity, mercy, to show us this consolation in our distress. We are looking at hymn number 341 here on Sharp Iron this morning. We need to take a break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, December 6th. We are studying the hymn, Lift Up Your Heads, You Mighty Gates, number 341 in Lutheran Service Book, with Pastor Tim Stork. He serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Michigan. Pastor Stork, prior to the break, we were talking about stanza two. And just to, I want to make sure we didn't leave anything out before we move to the, to the next stanza. I, there at the end, it, the hymn writer says, Therefore the earth is glad and sings, which I suppose is, is worth pointing out that this isn't you know, when Christ comes, he doesn't just come for a select group, but he comes for all people that, that we might sing praises to him. Yeah, you're, you're right. The, the whole earth is able to rejoice and sing, is, is glad and sing, because the Savior has come to, to redeem all people. Um, to Christ the Savior, raise your grateful hymns of praise, as, as Weissel ends the, the second stanza for us. But yeah, I mean, the, the whole, you know, hope here is that the earth is 
is going to rejoice at the coming of the Savior. Um, and, and I mean, to, to put it in a different way, I mean, it is sad that, you know, the whole earth and, and all mankind don't rejoice at the, at the coming of Jesus. But again, Weissel gives us here that, yes, you know, um, the earth is glad that the Savior has come. Um, because again, it, it's all his creation. Um, it's, you know, the, the rocks could rejoice and sing, um, as John the Baptist pointed us to in our gospel reading from Sunday, where he reminded the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, God can raise up children of Abraham from these rocks. And as Jesus says similar words in um, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, that you know, the, the rocks can rejoice and sing. And so, again, here the, the whole idea of the earth is glad because the Savior is here among us. That's right. So let's take a look now at stanza three. How blessed the land of the city blessed, where Christ the ruler is confessed. O peaceful hearts and happy homes to whom this king in triumph comes. The cloudless son of joy is he who comes to set his people free. To God the Spirit raise your happy shouts of praise. That's stanza three of the hymn, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. Okay, so Pastor Stork, now again, we have that, that same, I think, thought that we were talking about. You know, the earth is glad and sings. This is for all people. And, and those who receive this promise, they are blessed. So how blessed the land and the city where Christ the ruler is confessed. Take us in that first phrase of the stanza. Yeah, so how blessed the land, the city blessed, where Christ the ruler is confessed. Um, you know, here is this desire that all people would confess Jesus. And in, in confessing Jesus, we know, too, that he is the one who ultimately blesses the land. He, he blesses the city. The, the Lord is the one who gives all good things to all people, but especially are we reminded that the Lord blesses those who also confess him, um, that we can rejoice in, in that good work. Um, he, as we're reminded from Numbers chapter six, the Lord makes his face shine upon us and, and is gracious to us. Um, he pours out his blessings upon those who believe and trust in him, um, even as he does other people as well. So we're called to confess that Jesus is the ruler. He, he is the one who is the, the great king um, that ultimately, besides all of the earthly rulers we have, Jesus is the one um, who truly rules over all of mankind. Right, that, that title that showed up in that first stanza, that he is the king of kings who is drawing near, this stanza builds upon that, that our Lord Jesus is the king of those kings. So of the of the rulers of the land, the rulers of the city, the ruler over them is Jesus. And, and how blessed that those cities and those lands and the people there would confess that Christ is the true ruler, even over all of their earthly rulers. And I, I mean, I think of just the great blessing that has been ours as Christians to confess that truth in, in recent years, when it seems every four years is the, the most important election of our lifetimes. 
what a what a blessing it is for us to remember that well jesus is king over those kings he is ruler over those rulers and that brings great comfort and calm to our hearts in the midst of the turmoil turmoil of this world it's not to say that elections are unimportant but it is a reminder of, of who the king of kings is and i i do think there is great blessing for us to confess that and believe that as christians yeah i mean even with jesus you know before pontius pilate um Jesus reminds Pilate that the authority that he has, he wouldn't have it if it hadn't already been given to him by someone else, someone who is greater. And of course, Jesus is that that greater ruler who gives the the authority to those who rule here on earth. But it is something that's important for us to always remember because we do get so wrapped up sometimes in who our elected officials or our appointed officials are. And we oftentimes act as if that's that's the end all be all for us as Christians, especially if, you know, someone is elected that, you know, may have certain viewpoints or certain ways of thinking that stand directly, you know, against the Christian faith. And we may think, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do now? Well, don't forget. Jesus is still on his throne. He, he is still here among us. And, you know, our Lord has been with his church since the beginning of time and will be with his church until the end of time. And so, yes, there may be trials and tribulations and, and struggles that we face here as Christians in this world, but we can't forget that Jesus is still the, the ruler and savior of mankind and that we can and should place our hope in him alone. That's right. That's right. The stanza continues then. So we've talked about the land and the city being blessed to confess Christ as ruler, and then it narrows a little bit or make a smaller, now hearts, peaceful, peaceful hearts, so individuals, and happy homes mm -hmm. to whom this king in triumph comes. Take us into that next line. Yeah, so now we've gone from the whole world and from the land, from the city, and now we come into our homes, peaceful hearts and happy homes to whom this king in triumph comes. You know, we are reminded of the, the life that we have in our homes with Christ present, knowing that he forgives us, knowing that he is the one who has given us our, our parents, he's given us our siblings, um, he is the one who blesses our homes. It, it reminds me of, you know, some of the other hymns in our hymnal um, that remind us of Jesus being the friend of the children and the tasks that we take on in our daily life are, are given to us by him, that Jesus is the one who directs them. And then ultimately, you know, we pray that the Lord would bless our homes as Christians, that without him, um, our, our homes would not be the places that they are without our Lord's blessing. As the stanza continues, then the cloudless son of joy is he who comes to set his people free. So the, the cloudless son of joy and freedom. Tell us about those two images connected to Christ. Yeah, so we have this wonderful picture here of Jesus coming. Um, it gives me this, you know, the picture of, you know, revelation 
where Jesus is the sun. There, there is no need for, you know, light bulbs. There's no need for candles or any of the things that we use today to provide light because Jesus is the light. And ultimately, there is nothing that can diminish his light. There's nothing that can that can block it out. There are no clouds that um, diminish that which Jesus shines forth and, and brings to us. Um, and so again, here we have this this wonderful picture of our Savior who has come into this world uh, as the great light. Um, as I think Isaiah puts it well, he says, then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. Um, you know, we shall see the radiance of Christ um, and our, our hearts will be thrilled and they will exult. And so for that reason, to God the Spirit, raise your happy shouts of praise. Again, notice how in the first three stanzas we sing to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We move now into stanza four. Fling wide the portals of your heart. Make it a temple set apart from earthly use for heaven's employ, adorned with prayer and love and joy. So shall your sovereign enter in and new and nobler life begin. To God alone be praise for word and deed and grace. That is stanza four of the hymn, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. Okay, so I think this stanza now takes us back to that opening image of, of gates. And here the, the gates are the ones in my own heart. Uh, talk about this, this opening image of stanza four. Yeah, so fling wide the portals of your heart, make it a temple set apart. And I think first thing we have to realize is that, you know, making our hearts a temple for God on our own is not something that we can do. Um, you know, I don't think Weissel is saying here, you know, clean up your hearts, clean up your act, get everything right and, and perfect so that Jesus can enter in. I think Weissel understands here, of course, that our hearts are sinful, that, that out of them comes sin but that ultimately the Holy Spirit is the one who enters in, who cleanses us, cleanses our hearts, our, our minds and our souls and our lives, um, and, and ultimately makes the heart a, a temple for God. Um, and so in that faith and in that gift that the Holy Spirit has given to us, we open up the, the portals of our hearts, um, that joy of knowing what Jesus has done for us in saving us from our sins, in giving us all of these wonderful gifts and being in our presence. Well, how does our life look now? Um, how do we show and, and live that Christian faith? Um, so fling wide the portals of your hearts um, and make it a temple set apart. Yeah, the, the flinging wide of the portals. That's a, I, I love the, the language there, flinging wide. I, I picture someone, you know, from the inside just bursting open the doors. This is how, how excited I am to welcome Christ. And as you said, it's, it's not that this is something of our own power that we do or that, that we need to clean up, clean up our lives first. But this is the, you know, the call of John the Baptist. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
you know, this is, and the word accomplishes that call. And, and just to, you know, as a reminder, when you look forward into this hymn, stanza five, even praise redeemer come and open wide my heart. So this flinging open the portals of our heart is done by the Holy spirit. He is the one who comes and opens our heart. He makes us a temple set apart. The temple is where God dwells. And so when God dwells in us, we are his temple as Paul writes in first Corinthians six. And as a temple set apart, we are to be set apart from earthly use. So, so not for earthly use, but instead for heaven's employ. What does, what does that mean? This, what does that mean to be set apart, not for earthly use, but for heaven's employ? Yeah. Well, it, it again is this great reminder that we're not just here to, you know, go about our daily lives just in and out and in and out, but that ultimately, as you said, Pastor Apple, we've been, we've been set apart um, to be the, 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 the work of the Holy Spirit to work in us and, and work through us. And so our lives are also ones that are not just, you know, going about our, our daily business, but it's also being involved and being a part of the church. So what does that look like? Well, we pray for one another. We um, support one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We receive God's gifts. We spend time in the word. We proclaim the word in our daily lives to our family and our friends and our coworkers and to our spouse. Um, you know that we are also given these gifts that have not been given to the rest of the world, but have been given to the church. And so our whole life is, you know, set apart to, to do these things. Um, they are adorned with prayer and love and joy, as, as the author goes on to say. Um, we don't expect the world to pray. Um, you know, the, the joy that the world has is set in the things that come and go. But the joy of the Christian is, again, found in Jesus and the reality that he has given us forgiveness, life, and salvation. And, and that cannot be taken away from us. So again, whether we are missing a loved one because they passed away a few years ago at this time of the year, knowing that they died in Jesus, knowing that they died in Christ, yes, there still may be sadness, but we also have the joy that comes from knowing that we will see them again on the last day in the resurrection. Um, that our love for our fellow mankind is based first and foremost in the love that Jesus has for us. So what do we do? Well, we love people because Jesus first loved us and did all things from the, the goodness of his heart and from who he is. And so as we love our neighbors, we also love them not looking for, you know, what is this going to get me? you know, how, what am I going to get out of this, you know, by loving somebody else? We do it because it's who we are. That's, that's who we've been recreated to be in the waters of holy baptism. Yeah. And, and that is a good thing that the Lord has recreated us in the waters of holy baptism to do those things, to be that, to be that person and to do those good works that he has prepared for us to do. And I think that the hymn invites us to, to think about that as this stanza comes to its conclusion so shall your sovereign enter in and new and nobler life begin that yes to be a christian is not to have a, a 
a life without suffering by any means. You know, we know that we, we do suffer in this life. And yet to have the Lord Jesus reigning, to have his kingdom come to me, that's a, a new and nobler life. That's, that's a good thing to be, to be under the Lord's kingdom rather than outside of it. Yeah. Um, you know, knowing that he has promised us all of these good things, not only now, but also, you know, in, in the future, even though it's a, a present reality for us, um, that we know that Jesus, having entered into our lives by the Holy Spirit, we can then live this new and nobler life. Um, that again, it's it, it looks different than, or at least it should look different than, you know, the life that we live apart from Jesus. Um, the life that we have, you know, or the life that the, that the world has and, and clings to. Um, that it should be a new life that it should be a, a nobler life. Um, and that again, that this is all of God's doing, you know, that, that end refrain again, um, even though it's a little bit different each time, to God alone be praised. The only one who has given us this new and nobler life, who has adorned our life with, you know, love and joy is God. He, he truly is the one who deserves all the credit. He, he is the one that we praise for the words, for the deeds, and for the grace that he has given to us. We've got about five minutes here to look at the final stanza of our hymn. This is stanza five. Redeemer, come and open wide my heart to thee. Here, Lord, abide. O oh, enter with thy grace divine, thy face of mercy on me shine. Thy Holy Spirit guide us on until our glorious goal is won. Eternal praise and fame we offer to thy name. That is stanza five of the hymn, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates, number 341 in the service book. So we, we have a prayer once again, Pastor Stork. Talk about this opening prayer of stanza five. Yeah, so we pray now that Jesus would come and open wide the gates of our hearts and that he would come and abide in us. It reminds me of what John writes in First John chapter 2. John writes, he says, what, what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And so again, we're reminded that how does Jesus abide in us? He abides in us with his word and by his sacraments. And so we pray that the Lord would open wide our hearts, that he would come into them and make his home in us. Um, and again, how does he do this? He does it with his word. And yeah. which is a great reminder for us as Christians, especially during this Advent time. You know, so many of us try to use this Advent time as a time to, you know, start getting back into doing our devotions. You know, so many of us have Advent devotions that we've picked up at church or we've found online. And it really is a good time for us to, to get back into the Word. Because when we're in the Word, we're also in Jesus, and Jesus is in us. And so to continue to abide in Jesus, well, we need to abide in the things that he's given to us. We don't separate ourselves from them. And so, you know, Lord, abide in me 
by your word. May I know your, your comfort and your strength and your presence in my life because of what you've told me. Yeah. Yeah. What a, I mean, what a fantastic prayer that the Lord would come open our hearts and then dwell with us, dwell in us. What a, what a wonderful thing as the hymn continues. Oh, enter with thy grace divine, thy face of mercy on me shine. Take us into those two lines. Yeah. With about two well, minutes here, Pastor. Just, <laughs> so, so okay. yeah, we got about two minutes. Maybe help us to wrap up this stanza. Sure. So we don't run out of so, time. How do we, how would we like Jesus to be here with us? Well, not with his, um, not with anger, but with grace. Come with grace, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Um, show us your grace, for that's what we need. And, and then what does he do? Well, his face of mercy shines on us. Uh, it, it Again, it brings us back to Numbers chapter 6 and the words of the benediction at the end of the divine service. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. That God shines his mercy on you. He, he turns his face on you and, and you know his love and his compassion and his mercy. And then again, that the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us until our glorious goal is won. St. Paul reminds us in Philippians 3, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that glorious goal is the resurrection from the dead, eternal life in the presence of our Lord and Savior with all of the saints who have gone before us and all the saints who will come after us. And for all of that, for all these things that he's done for us, we offer eternal praise and fame to the name of the God who has done this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what a what a glorious conclusion to this hymn, you know, especially with each of those four stanzas to Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to God alone, and now eternal praise and fame we give, we offer to thy name, we praise him for what he has done for us now in coming to us and opening our hearts that we might believe in him, the one who is our savior by his death and his resurrection, who's given us his grace and mercy. And now, as you said, guides us on to that eternal goal, to that glorious goal of being raised from the dead on the last day and given eternal life with all believers in Christ. For that, we give God eternal praise and fame. Pastor Tim Stork is pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Michigan helping us today with the hymn, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. That is number 341 in Lutheran Service Book. Pastor Stork, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks, Pastor Apple. Blessed Advent. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Please send us an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Let us know where you're listening and what your favorite Advent hymn is. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.